So last Sunday, we, we saw Joseph coming out from prison to face Pharaoh because Pharaoh had, uh, had a dream and needed someone to interpret it. His magicians couldn't do it, and the cupbearer remembered Joseph and mentioned him to the king, and the king asked him to come. Today we are going to focus on chapter 41, where Joseph interprets the dream And the situation of his life changes. For those of you that are, are joining us for the first time, and together with those who worship here, we like reminding ourselves that we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and that everyone who believes in Jesus is a child of God. Let us say it together. The Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning. We acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your faithfulness. We acknowledge your love for us. And we pray, Lord, as we read and uh, listen to your word, that your Holy Spirit who teaches us will speak to us, and Father, you will accomplish through your word what you intend to accomplish this morning in Jesus' name. May everyone say, Amen. Amen. So Joseph comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream. He had two dreams that were very similar. One of them concerns the, the cows. In 41, chapter 41, Pharaoh says, telling his dream, he was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and goat, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly ate up the seven slit, flat, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. And when he slept again, he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, then thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. And so in the morning he was disturbed. And so when he called for his magicians and they couldn't interpret the dream and the cupbearer remembered Joseph, Joseph came. And when Joseph came to Pharaoh and Pharaoh told him 
of his dreams, Joseph told him that uh, the dreams were the same, that God was showing Pharaoh what was going to happen. And Joseph was given an opportunity to interpret the dream. And in verse 16 of chapter 41, Joseph responds. He says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So from chapter 39... We see now the Lord being mentioned. Here before Pharaoh, Joseph points to the Lord as the source of his ability to interpret the dream. Joseph is ascribing greatness to the Lord. In verse 28 of chapter 41, Joseph says to Pharaoh, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. God has revealed his plan to Pharaoh even though Pharaoh does not believe in the Lord. He says in verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. This tells us that when you see God repeating something, even in the scriptures, he is emphasizing that that will surely happen. It is an assurance. When God repeats, he is assuring us and his people that what he says will indeed come to pass. Joseph tells Pharaoh, this is something that the Lord has already decided and it will happen soon. So how does Pharaoh respond? Look at verse 38. Pharaoh asks a question. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God, one in whom is the Spirit of God? 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, remember Joseph has just come from prison. Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh is putting Joseph in charge here, not just in charge of the palace, but in charge of Egypt. Pharaoh recognizes that there is something different about Joseph. He recognizes that Joseph, that the Lord is with Joseph, 
and because the dream has come from the Lord, then the right person to help implement what it needs to be implemented is Joseph. He puts him in charge. In verse 41, Pharaoh says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then he took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He's signifying here that Joseph will be operating with his authority. So he gives him the authority, the Pharaoh-like authority to operate, to be in charge of Egypt. Then he dresses him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He is distinguishing Joseph as a prominent person in Egypt. This is a kind of, of clothing that only the who's, the who is who's in Egypt would wear. This is setting Joseph apart. And then he, he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make a way for Joseph as he he is inaugurated and presented to the people as second only to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Then Pharaoh gives Joseph an Egyptian name. So Pharaoh is doing something here. He is Egyptianizing Joseph. He is turning Joseph into an Egyptian. He's not just doing this because he wants people to accept him. He actually wants Joseph to accept the ways of the Egyptians, but also the faith of the Egyptians. Because after changing his name to Zaphenath Paneer, he gave him a wife. The wife, Asenath, is a daughter of Potiphera, the priest of the sun God. So Joseph's wife's now is a daughter of the priest of the sun god. Joseph has been brought closer to the Egyptian faith as possible. Pharaoh is trying to convert Joseph here. So the question is, will Joseph still keep his faith while in the center of power. Yes, Pauline? <laughs> you know, it's easier, it's easier to, to be faithful and to trust God when things are not going well in your life. When we are facing difficulties, when we are sick, when we are in need, it's easier to turn to the Lord and to cry to him for help. 
It's easier for Joseph to trust in the Lord and to wait on the Lord when in the pit. It's easier for him to be faithful and to hope that the Lord will show himself faithful when he is in prison. But when life is going on well, when you have good health and you are making a lot of money and you are prominent and influential, when people are serving you and listening to you, it's not as easy to rely on the Lord. When I came to the seminary, one of the things I was told about New England is that New Englanders don't see the need for God. And I asked, why? And the response I got was, because most of New Englanders are educated and they are self-sufficient. They are all set. No wonder when you ask someone, how are you doing? They will say, I'm good. <laughs> and because generally there are some of the best colleges in the world are in New England. So because of education and self-sufficiency, they don't need God. The temptation is usually to make God an addition to what they already have. So you will find families that uh, claim to believe in God, but God is just an addition to their busy schedule because their life doesn't show that. And that speaks of New Englanders. And that's one of the reasons that uh, in New England we have the least number of churches. In New England, we have the least number of church attendants in U.S., the average church attendance in US is I mean in New England is 40 people. The average church attendance in New England is 40 people. In New England churches are closing every day. The nearest church at the, the nearest church building at the seminary where we were in Gordon Cornwell, which is actually closing too, the nearest church building there was someone's house. The, what happened to that church? It's closest to the seminary, and yet it died. That speaks of New England. So the question is, when life is going on as it should be, when you have what you want, will you still need 
God. When you walk or drive, you are coming to church on Sunday morning, you will see people walking, others are running on Sunday morning, or you'll, still, you'll see sports going on on a school compound, things going on as if God doesn't matter anymore in our lives. And another thing that I have seen also is that you will have people really asking for prayers when they are in need, and when God responds to their prayers, when he gives them what they were looking for, whether it's a good job or they get a promotion, they no longer show that they still need God. The job becomes a reason for them not to come to church, not to join others in fellowship. It happens with young people as well. They come to church when they are praying for a spouse. And they will share with you, pray for me, I need someone in my life. And once God provides that someone, that someone becomes a reason for them to no longer be part of God's church, to no longer fellowship with others. Because they got what they want. Joseph here is at the top of his life. He is at the center of power. He is no longer in the pit. He is no longer in prison. And the temptation is going to be whether he will still rely on the Lord or now he will turn to himself. You see, when we have what we want, it's very difficult for us to give glory to God. We are tempted to sing I did it my way. <laughs> and in American culture, that's what we want, right? I did it my way. <laughs> but that's not what Joseph does. Even though Pharaoh tries his best to convert him, you look at chapter at verse 50 and 50 to 52. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Manasseh, which means he who causes to forget. Joseph doesn't want to remember the suffering and the difficulties 
that he has experienced. In other words, he doesn't want to maintain the bitterness and the anger that comes from the betrayal, the hatred, and the false accusations that he has experienced. He makes a choice here. And then he gets a second son. He names him Ephraim. He says, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Ephraim means fertile. God has made me fruitful. Joseph is grateful for his blessings and he has hope. He keeps his faith by giving his children Hebrew names. Instead of giving them Egyptian names, he's been given an Egyptian name, he's been given an Egyptian wife, but he refuses to give his children Egyptian names. He gives them Hebrew names, names that still remind him of where he comes from, it reminds him of his faith. This is one way the author of Genesis is showing us that Joseph is still keeping his faith while in the center of power. How about you and me? With the pressures that we face in this world, the pressure from our families, the pressure from our workplaces, the pressure from the culture. Will we still keep our faith while in the center of power or influence or despite the pressure that we face? As a young person, Will you still keep your faith despite the pressure from, of your friends or from your friends? When your friends expect you to be like them, when they expect you to give in to what they desire most, will you still keep faith? What about those of us that are, are in families and we are the only ones who are Christians in our families. When you meet with other family members and you want to give thanks to God before you eat, but they don't want that. And they know if they give you a chance, you will pray, so they start eating even before you start praying. In fact, if you're invited for dinner, they actually make sure the dinner is ready before you come. So that by the time you get there, they, you will find them eating. Just so that you don't get an opportunity to give thanks. How about in our workplaces where we are not allowed to even mention the name of the Lord or even pray publicly? Will we still keep faith despite the pressure that we face 
in our cultures. And how can we do it? When we look at Joseph and the names that he gives to his children, there is only one answer. And let me give you this answer. We can keep our faith despite the pressures that we face by reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. We can keep our faith by reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness. Can you imagine being Joseph? You have a wife whose father is a priest of a son God. You have a Pharaoh who actually himself is a God. And you are in a foreign land where everyone worships idols. And here you are, the second in command, and you still need to keep your faith. While today Christians are afraid to identify with Jesus Christ in public, Today, Christians would rather identify with a political movement than with Christ. They would rather identify as conservatives rather than a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't hear Christians today calling themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, but you will hear them identifying with political positions. As if Jesus is running for president. We can keep the faith by reminding ourselves of, the, of God's faithfulness. You know, everything that has happened to Joseph's life proves that God is faithful. It may, it may have felt like God had forgotten him when his brothers were mistreating him, when they threw him into the pit, when they sold him as a slave, when, when Potiphar's wife accused him of rape and he was put into prison. It may have felt like God had forgotten him. But when you look at his life and where he is right now and you look back at what he has gone through, you cannot avoid saying that God is faithful. Because in every, in every step, the hand of God was sustaining him, was protecting him, was sustaining his life, leading him to where he wanted him to be. And now he is on top of his life. The second in command in a foreign land and it is the Lord who is doing it. And Joseph still keeps his faith. And this is a challenge for all of us. And when we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, I'll give you two points here and we will be done. Because I'm feeling the heat too. When we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, we will realize that 
our experiences reveal our need for God. When we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, we will realize that our experiences reveal our need for God. Everything that happened in Joseph's life was revealing his need for God. Everything that happens in your life, the good and the bad, reveal your need for God. When you are at the lowest point of your life, you need the Lord. When you are at your best, you need the Lord because the next step is not going to be, you won't make it alone. When you are up there, do not forget who put you there. And when you are down there, do not forget the one that can lift you from there. There is the one who put us there, and there is the one who lifts us from where we are. When we are at our lowest, we need the Lord. When we are at our best, we need the Lord. In every way, everywhere, we need the Lord. When you remind yourself of God's faithfulness, you will realize that every experience in your life reveals your need for the Lord. And that's very, very important for Christians today. Because we, we have a tendency to forget. The good experiences and the bad experiences as a Christian, they all point us to the Lord. Because he's the one who is able to lift us up and also to humble us. So when you feel that you are at your best, you know, as a young person, you are strong, you are handsome, you are beautiful. You need the Lord. Because one day, you will be old, you will be weak, and people will look at you and they will say, you must have been a beautiful young person. <laughs> you need the Lord now, you will need the Lord then. Please remind yourself Wherever you find yourself, you need the Lord. We will continue to need the Lord today and tomorrow. When everything is going on well and when everything falls apart. Egypt becomes the center of life. You look at verse 57... When the famine had, had spread everywhere, we are told in verse 57, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Egypt becomes the center of life, not because of Pharaoh, not because of Joseph, but because of the Lord. The Lord that is using Joseph. Egypt 
becomes the center of life while the world is in need. Everyone is going to Egypt for food. There is great need in the world in this time. And you know, we still have need today. And the greatest need that we have today has nothing to do with the price of gas. The greatest need that we have today has nothing to do with climate change. The greatest need that we have today has nothing to do with who is going to be the next president of the United States of America. The greatest need today is not how your 401k is doing. It has nothing to do with your bank account. It has nothing to do with your next vacation. It has nothing to do with COVID or any other thing. The greatest need we have today is the Lord. The relationship that we need to have with the Lord. The greatest need that believers should be focusing on is the need to point the lost to the Lord. Because we have found the one who forgives our sins. We have found the one who is merciful. He is counting on us to spread the word and point just us. If you are driving and you see a gas station that is selling gas at a, a very cheap price. Gas is now going for about 4 to $5. If for some reason you found a gas station that is selling gas for $2. Even if you don't need gas, you will still buy some. And then you're not going to just keep it to yourself. You will call your friends and tell them. You will call your family and tell them, there is a gas station here, it's $2. Hurry up because before they change their mind. It's an opportunity you want to make use of. You have Christ, he has forgiven you, he has accepted you the way you are. You know the joy of salvation, the joy of his forgiveness. You cannot keep it to yourself. You want to share that with someone else. You want to point other people to Christ so that they can also experience that joy, that forgiveness that you have experienced. And that is our call. It is our call to share the faith that we have. And every time we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in our lives, we will also be reminded that everything that is happening is revealing the Lord to us. And everyone that we meet needs the Lord. And if you are hearing, you are listening to us this morning, and Jesus is not your Savior, you need the Lord. You need him when you are well, and you will need him when you are unwell. And so if Jesus is not your savior this morning, my 
invitation to you is that you may turn to him this morning and ask him to forgive you and to save you. You may repent today, submit to his lordship so that you can also keep the faith. And if you, are, you already believe in Jesus, one way you show that you keep the faith is by ascribing greatness to Christ, is by acknowledging that you are where you are today, that everything that you are enjoying today is because of the Lord, by ascribing greatness to Christ. You know, Christians who don't ascribe greatness to Christ when life is going well are usually the first ones to complain to God when something bad happens in their lives. Christians who don't ascribe greatness to Christ when life is going well are usually the first ones to complain to God when something goes wrong in their lives. And we have so many Christians who they are angry at God, they are bitter at God because of something that happened in their lives, and they are the same people who are not ascribing greatness to Christ when things were going on well. It's as if God is only responsible for the bad things that happen, but we take the responsibility for the good things that happen. You look at Joseph, his experience continues to reveal to him that God is faithful. Let me give you number two. When we remind ourselves that God's, of God's faithfulness, we will realize that our God is greater than our problems. We will realize that our God is greater than our problems. He is greater than our experiences. My encouragement to you this morning is that you remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Whatever you are going through, Whatever is going on in this world today, as believers, our hope must be in God because our God is faithful. And you know, this God that we are talking about, if you are a believer, he is your father. He is my father. And I know every time I use the word father referring to God, for some of us, it's difficult to see God as our father because of the experiences that we've had with our own fathers. We've had abusive fathers. We've had fathers that have taken advantage of us or fathers who didn't care about us. We've been brought up with fathers that never showed that fatherly love, and some of us are bitter, are frustrated, we, have, we still have those wounds. We are angry. I know how that feels. I know how it feels to have a father like that. My father was not abusive, but he wasn't there. In fact, 
I don't think I have ever called him father. And there is a time in my life as a young man, I was so angry. And I think I have shared this with some of you. I was so angry that I was thinking of killing him as a young man. But at age 23, when the Lord found me and I found him, the first thing that he impressed in my heart was to forgive my father for not being there. It wasn't easy because I had piled that bitterness, that rage in me. But one day, because I kept on feeling the lack of peace, one day I had to take a step and to meet with my father. And I told him, you are not there for me. You never cared. And I have been so angry and bitter because of that. But I'm a new person now. And God wants me to forgive you. And I want you to know that I have forgiven you. It didn't seem like it mattered to him. But that act, that step, that obedience at that moment, it did a lot to my life. Because I felt like I was carrying a heavy burden in my heart. And that was the day that I put it down. That's the day that I felt the peace of Christ reign in me. And so therefore for some of you that have had painful experiences with your parents, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you are a believer, you have a faithful father. A father that is perfect. A father that has promised to love you the way you are and he will keep on loving you and he has promised never, never to leave you. God assured me that day that he was my father and that changed everything about my life. I am no longer concerned with my earthly father. I am concerned with my heavenly father, the best father you can ever have. And when you find yourself in a place where your faith is tempted, my encouragement to you is that you will remind yourself of God's faithfulness because God is your faithful Father. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with you, you don't have a relationship with him, sorry, you cannot claim that God is your father because he becomes your father when Jesus Christ becomes your savior because you 
when you accept Jesus Christ, you join God's family. And therefore, if today you turn to him in repentance, you too will claim God as your father and you will start a new life with him and he will begin to transform you because his goal is to make us like Jesus Christ. Father, I come before you this morning thanking you for your love and for your faithfulness in our lives. I thank you for your word and for the opportunity you give us to learn from it. I thank you for your people that are here, Lord, despite the the hot weather and the discomfort that comes with it. Lord, you have enabled them to endure. This is one way your people are showing their faithfulness. And it is my prayer, Lord, that you reward them for their faithfulness and that you strengthen their faith. And if there's any private prayer request that your people are praying to you, that, Father, in your own way, you may show yourself faithful to them. That, Lord, you may use that request, that cry from that mother, that grandmother, that father, that grandfather, that young person who is calling on you, may you use that cry, that request, Lord, to show your faithfulness in their lives, to open their eyes so that they can see you as a faithful father a perfect father who cares for us so that, Lord, in every experience that we go through, you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.